Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. If you're visiting tonight, welcome to the uh, uh, Wednesday night Bible study here at River of Life Church. We are uh, have been going through a, uh, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which we started about a year ago, and we are getting very, very close uh, to the end. Only about three or four more weeks left to go. If you got your Bible or your device, you want to follow along, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at two verses tonight, verses 13 and 14, and as you can see, the title is the narrow gate. Now, before we read our scripture, this week I went back to our very first lesson that we did, which was September 14th of last year on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in that lesson, I, I had a slide where I made this statement. The Sermon on the Mount is a perfect picture of what a Christian should look like under the rule of God. The Sermon on the Mount is a perfect picture of what a Christian should look like under the rule of God. Now, I certainly don't, don't have time tonight to go back and, and go over a year's worth of stuff. But just let me say this. Jesus started out in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, and that describes the character of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And because our character as these citizens is so different from the kingdom of the world we will actually be ostracized. People won't like us. You know, most people don't like things that are different from them. And because Christians are to be so different, that's why you're reviled. That's why you're ostracized. That's why you're you're persecuted. But that doesn't mean that we go off to an island somewhere or go into a monastery or, or build ourselves some insular community like the Amish do. We are to be the salt and the light of the world. And we do that by exhibiting not just an outer righteousness, but an inner righteousness. A a Christian doesn't just behave rightly, they think rightly. And we do all this not so that people can pat us on the back. We do it all for Him. We serve an audience of one. We walk through this life knowing that this world is not our home, that we're travelers and sojourners, and there's, there's a city that we're looking for. Therefore, we lay our treasures up in heaven. And while we're on this road, we're continually confessing our sin. We're continually getting the beam out of our own eye so that we can help other people on this journey. And, 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 and at the end, Jesus says this, You do it all under this one selfless rule called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, that was verse 12 from last week. Now, that is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 12 ends everything that Jesus had to say. He's laid down every teaching, every commandment, every principle, every ethic that Christian citizens of the kingdom of God are to live by. And in verse 13 and 14 and through the rest of the chapter, he's like, okay, I'm done with that. And he basically looks at us and says, okay, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with all the stuff that I I just gave you? You see, what Jesus is doing is he's demanding a response. He's insisting that his listeners on that day and everybody that's read it for 2,000 years and you and I, we have to make a, a choice. 
Ministry Magazine is a magazine, I don't know if it's still around, but there was an article in 1993 that said this, a sermon that does not demand a response is not a sermon. You can call it a discussion, you can call it a presentation, you can call it a monologue, you can call it religious entertainment, you can call it everything you want, but don't call it a sermon. Sermons have to demand a response from the listeners. By the way, I believe that. Evidently, Brother Bill believes that. You know why? Because Jesus did it. The reason we give an invitation, the reason we give an altar call, the, the reason we, we ask people to choose is because that's exactly what Jesus did in his sermon. The greatest sermon ever preached. When he got done, he said, now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Now he's going to do that in several different ways from verses 13 to around 27. We're going to look at two of them tonight, verses 13 and 14. These are his words. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, before we look at those verses, I want to make sure we understand something. Why is it so important that Jesus says, okay, immediately after teaching, I'm going to, I'm going to give a, a, an invitation, if you will. I'm going to give a, 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 a call to, to obedience, why is it so important that he did it in the sermon? And why is it important that we do it when we preach sermons today? Well, the answer to that is pretty obvious. And that's because people are naturally inclined to be hearers and not doers. It's, it's easy for us to listen and say, wow, that was a great word. And walk out and do absolutely nothing about it. That's just the way we are. There's a great story in the book of John where the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin send some officers to go arrest Jesus and bring them to him. And so they, they leave for a little while and they come back. And when they come back, they're empty-handed. And the Pharisees said to him, where is he? Why didn't you bring him? And those officers said, man, nobody spoke like this guy. Nobody spoke like that man. You see, the fact is, you cannot read his words and not walk away impressed. For 2,000 years, I, I'm convinced if, you're a, if you seriously take the time to sit down and just read the words of Jesus, you don't walk away thinking he's crazy. You don't walk, walk away thinking he's evil. And you don't walk away thinking he's a lunatic. You walk away thinking, man, I've never heard anybody say the things that he said. See, everybody's impressed with him. People have called him a great teacher. People call him a holy man. Even uh, religions like Muslims consider him a, a prophet. But folks, listen to me. Jesus refuses to leave it there. He refuses to be admired. He refuses to be commend, commended. He demands obedience. He demands to be your Lord. You see, the words in the... I think probably the biggest misunderstanding or misconception I see in Christianity today is people read the Bible like it's a suggestion. If you'll just do this, you'll have a better life. If you'll just do this, you'll have the blessings of God. Folks, they're not suggestions, they're commands. They're commands. Listen, I don't know any other way to say this, and it might offend you, but Jesus, when He comes to us and He brings His Word, He's demanding to control us. He demands to control us. 
He, he wants to dominate every aspect of our life. He wants us to say like Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. These aren't suggestions, these are commands. In Matthew 9, Jesus is walking down the road and he, and he, and he walks by Matthew's tax booth where Matthew is there collecting taxes. Jesus walks up and says two simple words, follow me. Follow me. And Matthew did. Folks, he didn't say, Matthew, I want you to consider me. Matthew, I want you to admire me. No. He said, follow me. Walk with me on this, this narrow path. He's saying the same thing Scripture always says. Moses said in Deuteronomy, I set before you this day death and life, blessings and cursings. Joshua said in his famous saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Elijah, when he was battling the prophets of Baal, he said to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal's God, serve him. But if the Lord is God, then serve him. You got to choose. Everybody has to make a choice. Listen to me. There is no middle ground. No middle ground. I think there are millions of people here in America today walking around thinking, well, you know, I ain't all in for Jesus, but I ain't all for the devil either. I'm just going to walk this little, little line as best I can. That is, a, that is a misconception that will send you to hell. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30. Whoever's not with me is against me. If you're not with me, if you're not building the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, you're tearing it down. You're scattering. That's what he said. There is no middle ground. There is no place for apathy in the life. You have to make a choice. So here we are. There's two gates. There's two paths. There's two rival kingdoms. And there's one choice that faces every single man and woman. And we know it's a choice for us because look at that first word that he says, enter. That's a verb. That's an action verb. That's something that you and I have to do. You see, nobody is born naturally into the kingdom of God. Nobody, you're not born into the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom of God because your mom and daddy are in the kingdom of God. You're not in the kingdom of God because grandmama was in the kingdom of God. You're not in the kingdom of God because somebody baptized you when you were a little baby. You're not in the kingdom of God because you were born with a good disposition or a good personality or good sense or, or any of those things. You're not in the kingdom of God because you were born into a lot of money and you're not in the kingdom of God because you were born into poverty. None of that gives you access to the kingdom of God. You have to choose. You have to choose to enter. Nobody's going to stumble into the kingdom of God. Nobody's going to wander into the kingdom of God by accident. It don't happen that way. You have to enter. And by the way, we don't do Greek a lot here, but in the Greek, it's in something, that word enter is in something called the aorist imperative, which means do it now. It's like a big double exclamation point behind it saying, do it now. Enter now, immediately. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Now, one of the things that Jesus does in these verses, and by the way, he does not have to do this. He does not have to do it, but he lays out two options. And he gives us the characteristics of both options so that we can choose wisely. So that you and I can count the cost. 
And that's what he's about to do. Now listen, I'm not going to belabor this. But I want you to note, when, when Jesus calls the audience to obedience, I want you to notice how different it is from most of the invitations that are given to the Christian life in America today. We want to draw people in because come over here and we'll have a better life. Come over here with us and, and you'll be a better you. Right? And Jesus stands up and says, come with me, but I'm going to tell you it's hard. It's going to be hard. It's completely different from the way we do it today. Okay? Now, here's the two options. The wide gate and the narrow gate. In verse 13, he tells about the wide gate. So here's what he says. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. All right, so let's look at some of the characteristics. The first thing about this gate is that it is wide. Okay? Now, what he's talking about here. If you remember back in those days, cities like Jerusalem had walls around them because they had that's how they protected themselves. And in these walls were gates, and sometimes there would be very small gates that one person could go through, and sometimes there would be very wide gates. This is a wide gate, which means way more than one people. Multiple people can go through it. It will accommodate a lot of people, which means when you go through this gate, you're not alone. Your friends are there. Your family's there. Y'all are all patting each other on the back. Man, I'm so glad y'all are here with me. You, you don't, you're, you're in the crowd when you go through this gate. You don't have to worry about it. You're not making this decision alone. And this gate welcomes everybody. There's all the religions are welcome in this gate. All types of moralities. If your morality ain't like my morality, whatever. It's, it's, this gate just says, come on in. Any kind of beliefs, any kind of sexualities, they're, they're all welcome in this gate. And here's the other thing, too. It is easy. That's what Paul says. I mean, uh, Jesus says, says it's easy. Charles Spurgeon says this about this. If you want to go down to perdition, which if you want to go down to hell, he says, all you got to do is float with the stream. And you can have any quantity of company that you like. All you got to do is float. What does he mean by that? What makes this road easy? And entering this path or this gate easy is you don't really have to do anything. You just live whatever natural life you got. Whatever, however you feel, uh, just, just whatever comes natural, that's what you do. You don't have to have, make, really make any effort. You don't have to have any self-control or, or discipline to go through this gate. No commitment is required. No integrity is required. You don't have to love anybody or show mercy to anybody. You don't really have to have any godliness. I mean, that's... And here's another thing. There's no metal detectors. There's nobody checking your baggage. You can bring anything you want into this gate. You can bring your sin. You can bring your lust. You, you can bring your bigotry. You can bring your ambitions. You can bring your prejudice. Bring, your, bring it all. You ain't got to check no bags to get into this gate. There are no restrictions. It's wide and it's easy. The preacher's outline in Sermon Bible says this. There's plenty of space for the attractive things of this world. It's the way of the unthoughtful, the undisciplined, the lazy, the worldly, the ungodly, the materialistic, and the carnal. It is absolutely wide open. And by the way, that makes it very, very popular. That makes it real popular. 
Have you ever noticed how we're naturally inclined to follow a crowd? Have you ever gone to like a sporting event or, or maybe a concert and you're trying to figure out where to go to get your tickets and get in? What do you do? What do you do? Don't you just look and see where the, where's everybody else doing? Oh, there's a big crowd over there. Well, let's go follow them. If, we're, if they're wrong, we're all going to be wrong, right? There's something about us that likes to follow the crowd. We, we just think because everybody's doing it, it must be right. It's, it's the path of least resistance. And by the way, when, when you look at this wide path, you look over there and you think, goodness gracious, look who's on that path. Do you see who's going through that gate? That, those people are famous. Those people are successful. Those people have got PhDs. Those, those people are, are powerful. Those are the influencers, and they're all going through that gate. Man, that's something. It's got to be right. If all those people are going that way, it has to be right. But Jesus says, yes, it's wide. Yes, it's easy. Yes, it's popular. But here's the thing. It is absolutely deadly. Absolutely deadly. Proverbs fourteen twelve says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When, when Jesus said this road leads to destruction, what he's talking about is spiritual death. He's talking about eternal separation from God. You know, there's a, there's a, a belief out there called universalism, and you'll hear it. It'll come up every now and again where people say, well, you know, I don't believe really there's a heaven or hell. I believe at the end of the day, everybody goes to heaven. You know, that God loves everybody, and I just can't imagine that he would ever send anybody to hell. We'll, we'll all end up going to heaven. That's called universalism. Folks, Jesus doesn't believe in universalism, okay? He said there's two gates, and, and where you end up depends on which gate you go through. Where you end up depends on which bath you take. There's no such thing as universalism. He didn't believe it. Number five, the last thing about this gate, and it's actually something that Jesus doesn't say. I don't know if you remember me read just a minute ago, but he said about the narrow gate, he said, there few there be that find it. The narrow gate has to be found, but he doesn't say that about the wide gate because you don't have to find it. Here's why. I, I used uh, a little bit earlier, you may have noticed in the background, I used this picture to represent the choices that we had, right? There's two gates, there's two paths, there's two kingdoms. And we have to choose one or the other. And it's easy to represent that with a, with a fork in the road, right? But to be honest, it's really not like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that analogy, but it would probably be better to picture it like that. It's not so much a fork in the road as it is an exit. We're all barreling down this wide path, and, and, and you got to get off. You see, the fact is, we all begin on the wide path. It's not like you're walking along and you think, oh, there's the wide path, and which one am I going to take? No, you're on the wide path if you don't know Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, talking about before you got saved, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air. You see, you are on the wide path. 
you were following the wide path. You were following the crowd. You were following the course of the, with the rest of the world. You were following Satan. Whether you knew it or admitted it, didn't matter. That's the path that you were on. See, the choice we really have to make is to get off the path. It's not so much a fork in the road. We're on the wide path. We got to get off. We got to walk away from the crowd. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can be saved to enter the kingdom of heaven is we got to find that narrow gate and we got to enter that narrow gate. We got to find it and we got to enter it. So let's look at the second option that he gives us, which is the narrow gate. This is verse 14. He says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, I want you to listen to this part because I'm assuming most of you here tonight would say to me that I've entered the narrow gate, that I'm on the narrow path. So this is talking to us. Here's a few things if you're on about this gate. The first thing that he tells us is that it's narrow. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Sermon on the Mount, he says, he visualizes this as a turnstile. Y'all ever, anybody here ever been through a turnstile? We've all been through a turnstile. You don't get two people through a turnstile, do you? You see, the fact is, when you go through this gate, you do it alone. You do it alone. Somebody can bring you to the gate, but they can't push you through the gate. They can't hold your hand through the gate. They can't drag you through the gate. It is a deeply, deeply personal decision. At the end of the day, it comes down to you and him. He's inviting you to enter the gate, but you do it alone. And here's the thing. For us to go through this narrow gate, you got to be willing to leave the crowd. That's not easy to do. You know, the crowd is all going, you know, you, I can picture everybody on this broad road, man, and they're all partying and having a good time. It's like Mardi Gras, and, and they're slapping each other on the back, and here you go, and, and you try to leave them. They're not going to like that. And by the way, not only you got to be willing to leave the crowd, sometimes you got to be willing to leave your own family. In fact, you got to be willing to give up your own life, your own uh, wants and ambitions and desires. This is what Jesus told us in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Man, that's a hard saying right there. But you got to be willing to leave it all behind and walk through that gate on your own. Now, when you do that, by the way, you're going to be seen as strange People are going to look at you differently. They're probably going to ostracize you. They, they, in some cases, they might even persecute you. Let me tell you, it's a lot easier to stay on the wide path. It's a lot easier to stay over there than it is to go through that narrow gate. Here's the second thing, and we'll come back to that at the end. i got one more thing I want to say to that. But here's the other thing. It's difficult to find. It's difficult to find. See, unlike the broad way or the wide way, you got to find this gate. Now, some people in this life are very fortunate. I was one of those. Some people in this life are raised in Christian homes. And their mom and daddies literally bring them to that gate and set them right in front of it. My mom and dad brought me to that gate and put me right in front of it. I didn't have to look for it. Now, that doesn't mean... 
They couldn't make me go in. I had to make. Are you with me? I had to choose. I had to. I found the gate, but I had to choose to enter that gate. And some people are very fortunate. If you've got Christian parents that showed you the way, you need to. You need to thank God every day of your life that you didn't have to hunt and dig and scrap and scrape to find the way. That's if you're blessed that way. Others, though, are blinded by false religion. They, 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 they're born into Hinduism or Buddhism or, or Islam, or they're born into Catholicism, or maybe they're even born into a, a Mormon, or they're born a Jehovah's Witness, or maybe they're born a Protestant. And they've been going to church forever, but they don't know Jesus, but they think they're okay because I've been going to church forever. They're blinded by religion. Or they're blinded by morality. They think, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's what makes it so hard, as we'll see at the end, to go through that narrow gate. To come to the place where you realize, I'm not good enough. So some are, some are brought to the gate. Some are blinded by religion. Some are blinded by their own morality. And there's other people that got nobody to tell them about the gate. They just go through life and nobody's telling them that there's a, there's a gate. That they've got to enter through. Now here's the scary thing. And we'll talk about this next week. Some people find the gate. And when you find it. There's men standing outside of it. And these men. They got one job. One purpose. And that is to send you somewhere else. You walk up to that gate. And you're thinking. Well this is the gate. And they say no. No man. (laughs) This, this isn't the gate. There's another gate over here. That gate over here suits you better. You need to go down to that gate. There's, there's a Jesus down there. He's different from the Jesus of the Bible, but you're going to like him better. So even when you find it, there's people at the gate trying to lead you astray. By the way, these people are called false prophets. They're false prophets. So even as you come, their whole purpose is to get you away to get you not to enter, to stay on the Broadway and not enter the narrow gate. You see, whatever your situation is, whatever you're born into, the narrow gate is not easy to find. And when you do find it, only a few enter in. Many are on the wide road. Few, few enter the narrow gate. Just a quick aside, Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Do you know that's a promise? God says, if you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. You know what that tells me? That tells me there's not very many people really seeking him with all their heart. You see why? Only a few find the gate. But he says, you will find it if you seek with all your heart. There's a lot of people looking for a Jesus that fits their mold. They're looking for a Savior that fits their box. But Jesus won't be taken like that. He will not be taken like that. The third thing about the narrow gate is it is unpopular. We've already said the crowds are following the wide path. I don't want to offend anybody here. (laughs) But when you look at the narrow path, there's only a few people and they ain't the cream of the crop. There's very few Rich people on the narrow way. There's very few PhDs on the narrow way. There's very few successful, powerful people. How do I know that? Because that's what Paul told me in Corinthians. He says, God chose what is foolish in the world. 
God chose what's weak in the world. God chose what's low in the world. God chose what's despised in the world so that no human being could ever stand and boast in his sight. There's not a lot of them over there. A few, thank God, because God's merciful, but not a lot. The fourth thing about this, and let's hear Jesus' words, because if you're on the narrow road tonight, this applies to you. He said it's hard. It is really, really hard. Charles Spurgeon says this, It is a way of self-denial and humility. It is a way which is distasteful to the natural pride of men. It is a precise way, a holy way, a straight way. Not only does the Christian man have to swim against the current, he has to do more than that. He has to go against himself. So straight is the road. Why is it so hard? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, you will battle every day against sin. Every day. You see, on the wide road, you just give in. You just give in to it. It, it, There's no conviction. I just, whatever I want to do, I just do it. You celebrate it. You love it. But over here on the narrow road, you hate it. And you battle with it every single day. You literally have to declare war on your own body. Your own lust, your own desires, your own ambitions. You have to fight them every single day in order to submit yourself to Him and His Word. And by the way, after you do all that, guess what? You're going to struggle with failure because you're going to fail over and over and over again. And here's the thing. You're going to really battle unbelief because you will go through tribulation, Jesus said. You will endure pain. You will endure suffering. And there will be times you ask God to take it away from you, and he's going to say like he said to Paul, Nope, my weakness is made perfect. I mean, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And you're going to battle unbelief because of that. Why, God? Why did this happen to me? It's not easy. We talked about being ostracized, being persecuted. Let me tell you, at the end of the day, you're going to get tired. You're going to get tired and you're going to want to give up. As I was putting this together, I, remind, I was reminded years ago of a video that I showed the young people. And I, I put it on here for you. It's about a young man walking through his, his, uh, his, his hall at school and he's going against the tide. Everywhere he goes, it's like everybody else is going the other way. This is how the Christian life is. It's a battle. You get tired. You get fed up. And eventually, you just come to the point, you say, you know what, I I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And you want to give up. But let me hear, I'm here to tell you all something tonight, just like this young man. Look behind you. Somebody's watching. Somebody's following you. Somebody's listening to you. You are not alone. You're not, you're not on this road alone. There is a church body. There are friends and family that are in this with you. And we support one another and we help one another and we encourage one another. We do all those things, but you are not alone. Let me tell you, the wide road is easy, but this narrow way is hard. Jesus said it. But listen, Martin Lloyd-Jones says one hour in heaven will be worth it all. One hour in heaven. Paul said, I reckon the sufferings of this present time ain't even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. The fifth thing that Jesus says about the narrow road, and this is why it's going to be worth it all. 
Because on that road is life. This road leads to life. This isn't physical life he's talking about. This is spiritual life, eternal life. This is, this is real, purposeful, meaningful life of the highest plane. In, in John 10.10, Jesus said this, I have come that they might have life. I, I get so sick of people using that to say, oh, you're going you're gonna to have more money and you're going to have more better houses and better cars and a better job. No, that's got nothing to do. That's temporary stuff. He's talking about real, eternal, spiritual, meaningful, purposeful life that is only found in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. And here's the beauty of that. You don't have to wait until you cross the finish line into death to get it. You got it right now. You got it the day you entered the narrow gate. You got it the day you were born again. You started living your eternal life. That is why Jesus said you cannot die. You can't. This shell of a body will fall away. But the eternal life that I've been living now for 40 years, I'm just going to keep going for 10,000 and 10,000 and 10,000 and on and on and on because it's an eternal life. That's what's on the narrow road. That's what you'll find through the narrow gate. I want to close and go back to his first statement. Jesus has given us two options. There's a wide gate. He laid it all out for us. There's a narrow gate. He laid it all out for us. And then he says this, five simple words. Enter by the narrow gate. I, I like to look at different translations. By the way, a, a quick plug. We'll finish this study here in about three or four weeks. And I'm going to do a, a uh, one or two week study on Bible translations. Uh, one of the questions I get all the time, which Bible translation should I use? Which Bible translation should I use? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go through it with you. I'm going to tell you why there's Bible translations, what's different about them, what's good about them, all those kind of things. I'll do that. But I love different translations. I use the ESV. That's my main one that I study from, but I, I go to others all the time. And this week I was looking at the ESV and I was looking at other translations and I, I looked at the King James. And the King James 1611, when it was written, said this, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Now, that word straight is not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. That's not, that's not what it means. Not straight like there's no curves. This is the word straight actually comes from the Latin word strictum, which means restrictive or, or narrow. It, it's used today, by the way, uh, to define a, a, a path of water between two pieces of land. You got the Florida Straits, you got the Strait of Magellan, you've got the Strait of, of, of Gibraltar, which connects the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean between the European and the African continents. That's, that's called the Strait of Gibraltar. The idea here, okay, is there ain't no wiggle room. That's the idea. When you go through this, it's restrictive. It's strict. There is no plan B. There's no option D. There is, there is one way and one way only, and that is through that narrow gate. And folks, listen to me. That is the way of the self-denial and the cross. Self-denial and the cross. There is no other way. Nothing else is going to get you there. Listen, this is why I mentioned this earlier. One of the reasons the narrow gate is so hard to get into so hard for you to make the choice is because you have to admit that you're not good enough. 
you have to admit that you've been weighed in the scales and you've been found wanting. You have to admit that you fall short of the glory of God. And the only way you're getting in is to depend on Christ alone. That's what you have to admit. And, and for some reason, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult for a human being to do. You see, folks, there's only one way. There's only one door. There's only one gate. There's only one name. There's only one mediator. We could go on and on. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. He didn't say, I'm a door. I'm, I'm one of the doors. He said, I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. John 14, 6, he said it again. I am what? The way. Not a way. I'm not an option to add to other option. I am the way. I'm the only way you can get to the Father. No one gets to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved. One name. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Dalai Lama, not, not Muhammad, not anybody. Jesus. 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 Only name there is. In 1 Timothy 5, 6, there is one God, and there is one mediator between that God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. Nobody else. You don't need to pray to no saints. You don't need to pray to no Mary. You don't need to pray to nobody. You go to Him. He is your mediator. He's your mediator. He is your door. He is your gate. He is your way. It is restrictive. That's what it means. It's as narrow as it can possibly be. Two gates. One leads to destruction. One leads to life. One of them's easy to find. One of them's hard to find. One of them is extremely popular, and the other one's unpopular. The one is easy, the other's difficult. Folks, you better choose wisely. You better choose wisely because your eternal destiny is at stake. Eternity. In Luke 13, a man came to Jesus, and I'll close with this. He said, Lord, are few being saved? Are there few being saved? By the way, in Luke 13, Jesus does not answer the question. He basically turns it around and says, that's not the question, man. The question is, are you being saved? You strive, sir, to enter the narrow door. You strive to enter the narrow door. We don't, it goes back to what I said earlier. This is deeply personal. It's not about what's happening with everybody else. It's about you and me and him. And he said, strive. That, that word, I can't pronounce it, the Greek word, agonistathe or something like that. But you know, does that, does that, you recognize that word means agonize. Agonize to enter the narrow gate. That means make every effort. Do whatever it takes. The, the idea here is the emphasis that we should put on our salvation. Listen to me. Our salvation should be the most important matter in our entire life. Nothing else even comes close. And how many people, how many people are going through life and they don't give it a second thought? Agonize. That may make it a point. Uh, uh, because let me tell you, when that door closes, Jesus said in that same passage, it will not reopen. Enter in while you can. Do it now, immediately. Because he says when that door 
closes and they knock, he says, I don't know who you are. He will not reopen that door. I started out tonight, I told you I went back a year ago and I made that statement, the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect picture of what a Christian should look like under the rule of God. So here's the question that you and I have to ask. Have you committed yourself to that way of life? This is the question. Do you want to know if you're saved? Do you want to know if you've gone through the narrow gate? Do you want to know if you're walking the narrow road? Then ask yourself that question. Have I committed myself to that way of life? Have I chosen to enter it? Let me ask you, are you hungering and thirsting to be the person that is described in the Sermon on the Mount? By the way, nobody's perfect. That's not what it asks for, and that's not the question I'm asking. The question is not, are you doing it perfectly? The question is, are you hungering and thirsting to be that person? Let me ask you this. Is God's Word the thing that controls your life? Does God's Word dominate your life? Does it dominate your behavior? Does it dominate your decisions? Does it dominate your thinking? That's an easy question. I can tell you with my hand raised high, the the Word of God dominates everything I do. It dominates. I don't make a decision when I don't think in my mind, okay, what, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? What does the Word say? Now, I don't always do it. Sometimes I mess up. But I can tell you it dominates my life. Let me tell you, if you can answer those questions in the affirmative, yes, I've committed to this way of life. Yes, I've chosen this way of life. Yes, God's Word controls me. If you can answer yes to those questions, then let me tell you, you can be confident that you've entered the narrow gate. You can be confident that you are walking on the narrow road. How do I know that? Well, listen to 1 John, and I close with this. John says this, And by this we know... That we have come to knowing. That's what we all want to know. Am I really saved? John says you can know that. And here's how you can know it. If we keep his commandments. If we are submission in submission to his word. Whoever keeps his word in him. Truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him. Ought to walk in the same way. In which he walked. If you will, I want you to bow your heads. You know what I'm about to do. This is a teaching, but it would be remiss of me not to invite you to obey. Not to challenge you to obey. If there's anyone here tonight and you could not answer yes to those questions... You have not committed yourself to God's way and to His Word. You've not committed yourself to be the person that's described in the Sermon on the Mount. You've not committed yourself to Jesus Christ. That God's Word, you go through your life and it's not dominating you. It's not controlling you. It's not the main thing that that steers you. It's not your North Star. It's not your radar. It's none of those things then there's a very, very good chance that you are still on the wide path. There's a very good chance. This idea of easy believism that you can walk down an aisle and and say a prayer and walk out and not do anything 
to, to obey His Word and to change your life, that's not in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus says there's a difference between the narrow and the wide. Which one are you on? If there's anybody here tonight and you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm not, I just, I don't think I'm on the narrow path. I still think I'm on the wide path. I'd be happy to pray for you, talk to you. Is there anybody here? Nobody's looking around. Anybody just, you can just raise your hand. It's not for me, by the way, it's for him. You're saying to him, I don't know. I just don't know. Anybody at all? Remember what Jesus said, do it now. Don't wait. Procrastination is absolutely deadly. Absolutely deadly. If you're here tonight and, and um, you think you're on the narrow path, you can answer yes to those questions, then, then man, let me just speak a word of encouragement to you. Um, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know you're going through things financially and in your marriage and, 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 and with your children and, and things have happened. I get all that. We've all gone through it. It's not easy to keep the faith. But let me tell you, you're not alone. You are not alone. And one of the things that we're going to do in this coming year is we're going to, we're going to start to, to, to build this church up in ways that we never have before. We want everybody sitting in every chair to be able to do the work of the ministry. Everybody in every chair. If you're in this church, you should be ministering to people and discipling people and encouraging people and praying for people. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you take your word tonight and make it as real to us in a way that I could never do with my words. God, help us not to be hearers only but help us to be doers of your word. God, help us, as we said last week, to follow the golden rule. What would I want somebody to do for me? What if I was on the wide path? What would I want somebody to do? Would I not want somebody to tell me? Would I not want somebody to invite me to church? Would I, would I, would I not want somebody to take me by the hand and lead me to the narrow gate? God, help us to be that kind of people. The time is short. The time is so short, Lord. Help us in the days to make use of the time, to redeem the time. God, help us to be your people. We give you praise. We give you honor. And we thank you. Father, we pray tonight for, for Brother Al, as we did this past Sunday. We pray for him. We pray, God, that you continue to touch him. Put your hand upon him. God, bring healing to his life that he can come back to this church and stand right here where I am and share the word of God. And God, I, I promise you, I promise you, we will stand here and give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor that you deserve in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.